Okay, you're going to want to open to Romans 9. And also put your finger in Isaiah 10. We're going to start in Romans 9 now. And see the verse. I'm going to refer to the whole chapter, but I'm just going to read. Uh, was Isaiah what? Isaiah 10 was the other one. Okay, Romans 9, and I'm going to start reading at verse 22 and read down to 33, down to the end. Um, what if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us? whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. It will happen that in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved, for the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. It is just as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom, we would have been like Gomorrah. What then shall we say, that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have, have obtained it? a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it? Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as, it, as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, See, I lay a Zion, in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. We pray that God would add his blessing to the reading of his word. And I won't read Isaiah right yet, but uh, I'll read it as we go along. Um, so today, uh, Ross has been giving us uh, deep stuff. So I thought, uh, I, since we're all now able to eat and off, our, off milk, we can carry on with uh, hopefully some stuff that... Uh, challenges us a little bit. And this is from uh, a whole bunch of stuff that Elaine and I have been listening to. And I want to talk on two different levels here today. I want to talk and explain the scripture, but at the same time explain the method of interpretation that Paul's using. And the method is called hermeneutics, probably, probably know that. And the typical hermeneutical method, there's a mouthful for you, that's <laughs> uh, most common is allegory, right? That's what a lot of pastors, a lot of churches use is allegory, and it's basically a story told to get at the meaning. And all these methods, all the, 
all the things that Paul uses, all the things that anybody who speaks on scripture uses, what they're trying to do is get at the meaning. We're trying to understand what God is about here, what he's trying to say. Um, Paul is the only one that in the New Testament, I guess the only one in the Bible, that has been formally trained, classically trained in Bible interpretation. Not John, not Luke. Uh, none of these guys went to the school of Gamaliel, which we always heard that's the school that Paul went to. So this is a formal... What was that again? I'm sorry. What was the school? Gamaliel is, oh. I think, the, the okay. original rabbi or whatever that uh, started okay. the school. They always call it that. Yeah, okay. so they had rabbi guy. Yeah. Okay. Some guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, yeah, so he was formally trained there. Okay. He was trained in Bible interpretation. Okay. How you interpret the Bible. And though there's many interpretation methods... Paul moves seamlessly through these methods. And not that you have to know them, but I'm going to tell you about four of them that he uses, and it might help to know which one he's using, and it might prompt you to, you can look these up, right, and see, uh, you know, what he's doing when he's changing methods and stuff. And the, one of the really important points is no matter what method he's using, he doesn't change the meaning. He just goes to another level of meaning, mm -hmm. right, that you might miss if you didn't know. So, uh, four of the methods, and there's a bunch of them, but four of the methods. Uh, the first one is uh, spelled P-E-S-H-A-T, Peshat. P-E-S-H-A-T. Uh, and this method is just a plain, simple meaning. What you see on the page, that's what you get if he's working in that method. Second method is remez, R-E-M-E-Z. And this is a hint at something deeper, right? It alludes to a deeper meaning in the text. And this method uh, most uh, resembles allegory, telling a story. Uh, but it goes deeper than that. Uh, <clears throat> third method D apostrophe R-A-S-H, Dirash. And I think it might also be called Midrash, right? Uh, and this is when Paul uses a metaphor or a comparison or an illustration through a teaching uh, or a discussion bringing in other sources, okay? That's a third method. And the fourth method, which I don't have an example of in Scripture today, but you can look it up, uh, is called S-O-D, sowed, sod. There you go, farmer. <laughs> That's your method. Uh, and it means secret. Uh, uh, mis a mystery or a hidden meaning behind the text. We always said sowed after it was seeded, not sawed. <laughs> <laughs> this ground is seeded, so it's now sowed. Yeah. <laughs> S-O-D. Okay. Um, Alright. So, Paul knew and used all these methods. He's the only one that did this. And uh, you don't necessarily have to know the methods, but it's kind of good to know when he's pulling something in from somewhere, uh, you know, that he's actually using method. And then it might prompt us in our minds to think, oh, there must be something else here. There could be some deeper meaning. Maybe I should look that up. It prompts us to study, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and often in the method of metaphor or, or derage, what he does is he creates... Uh, 
a straw man or a, an opponent, a debater. And the debater brings up uh, Jewish tradition, which is called uh, Halakha, H-A-L-A-K-H-A-H. -E -H -H. Uh, and then he debates his straw man and he makes up, brings up tradition, and then he refutes tradition. Because the Jews had tradition all mingled in with Torah, right? <clears throat> and you know when I say Torah, it's the first five books of the Bible, referred to as the law. And so Paul's trying to tease these out and trying to say, this is tradition. That's just something that you laid on to Torah. That wasn't originally what God said, but they had it so intermingled that Paul had to try to separate it. So he uses these methods to do that. And of course, he didn't have a New Testament, so he quotes the Old Testament. He's writing the New Testament. So, uh, and he uses the methods by quoting the Old Testament and uh, referring to the New Testament. Um, and the Jews would have understood the methods somewhat, although, unless they were a Pharisee like Paul, trained in that method, and they also, you have to understand that Paul has an intelligence that many of the Jewish people wouldn't have. So in order to move back and forth, they might get lost. And the Gentiles would be totally lost. They wouldn't know what he was on about, you know, half the time, most of the time. Um, so uh, if I look at uh, Romans 9, 27, 28, he uses Isaiah 10, 22, and 23. And in the 29, he uses Isaiah 1. Um, and... What he does, the standard method, is he gets an abbreviated portion. You see, he only gives two little sentences there out of Isaiah. But it was expected that people only had the first five books and the prophets, right? So it was expected that they would know the context. So even though he only gives two, he expects you kind of to know what the rest of it is talking about. Uh, course, we don't know all the context that he's referring to. We're just reading through the New Testament. Um, so let's just flip back to Isaiah 10 for a second. And even though it'd be referring to the whole thing, I'm just going to read Isaiah 10, 20 to 25. And this refers to what Paul's talking about, the remnant of Israel. In verse 20, in that day, the remnant of Israel, the survivors of the house of Jacob, will no longer rely on him who struck them down, the Assyrians, but will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. A remnant will return, a remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. Though your people, O Israel, be like the sand by the sea, only a remnant will return, says this a number of times. Destruction has been decreed overwhelming and righteous. The Lord, the Lord Almighty, will carry out the destruction decreed upon the whole land. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord Almighty, says, O my people who live in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrians who beat you with the rod and lift up a club against you as Egypt did. Very soon my anger against you will end and my wrath will be directed to their destruction. So, that whole passage, if you want to read all of Isaiah 10 later, uh, is, starts off with uh, 
God's uh, disgruntlement, disgust about the Jews, because they had mixed in all the other nations' pagan worship and rituals with what he directed them to do. And then so he brought Assyria, his rod, up. But Assyria, of course, when somebody's used by God, the danger is you get proud. You get, you know, proud. And Assyria said, look at us. We can, God, God's behind us here, backing us, and none can touch us. So God said, it's not you, it's me. So then he does away with the Assyrians. And something we have to realize is we flash by these terms like remnant. And what we have to, we have to, it can get jumbled in your head what that is. And a remnant is just a little piece, right? Um, and what he's referring to here is that, so here's Israel in their nation. Assyria comes in, captures them, kills some, take them back to Assyria. And then God destroys Assyria. And a few Jewish people survive that whole thing. And then that's a remnant. And they come back to the Holy Land back where they were originally uh, taken from. And that's the remedy he's talking about. Uh, <clears throat> okay. In that passage, uh, it's all about Israel. And the only Gentile mentioned is the Assyrians. But generally it's about Israel and the entire nation of Israel. Uh, another word that's important in this is election. An election just means uh, chosen, right? It's who God elects, who God chooses out of all the nations, all the people of the earth. And the first were the Jews, right? They were the elected, they were the chosen ones. Uh, <clears throat> the key point in who's chosen has nothing to do with our actions or who we are, but it's all about God and who he is about his mercy. Mm -hmm. And if we just, you still got it open in Romans 9, if you flip up to verse 14, 914 says, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. He can decide who he wants where and what he wants, who he wants to bless, and what he wants to do with whoever. And you have to read all of nine there to get the, the whole meaning of that. And I'll allude to some, some more of it in a minute. Uh, if we look at verse 24, 924, it says, I can find it. Yeah, I know. 23, 24, I'll start reading here somewhere. Oh, uh, even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Okay? Uh, so, it's not just the Jews that were elected, chosen. Key point I came across was this. Israel was elected not to exclude all other people. That's not the reason they were chosen first. It wasn't like Jews, only Jews, right? Israel was elected to facilitate the inclusion of us, 
facilitate the inclusion of everybody else on the earth. Because if you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. So that's the majority of the people on the earth are not Jewish. So out of the, if we have seven billion, uh, six billion something are Gentiles. So he uses the Jews and their struggle and everything that they're doing to teach us, right, what to do, what not to do, but it's to facilitate our inclusion, right? Uh, <clears throat> and that's all according to God's plan of redemption. It's first the Jews, then the Gentiles, right? Not first the Jews and only the Jews, right? First is inclusion, second is exclusion. Thank you. Because yeah. you know I've always wondered that. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, it's true. I, I, you know, I shouldn't have wondered that, but it just, it just seemed, I mean, we know God had a plan, and sorry to interrupt, but, yep. you know, I often thought about that was, it, it was his plan, but it sounds like, gee, we got lucky, but then it was, you know, yep. that we got lucky, they lost out, and so thank you. Yep, it's all good. Um, I got a little aside here because you almost have to read Romans 9, 10, and 11 together. You have to, there's so much you have to read to get the context. Um, Paul's problem is that he explains, though now the elected or the saved will only be a remnant of Israel, all of Israel will be included later, as was always God's plan. Okay, I'll explain this a little bit later, but just to condense Romans 10 and 11, Flip over to 11.25 for a second, Romans. Because we can't make anything up. It's got to be in the scripture, right? So, <laughs> if we look at 11.25, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening, in part, until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. There's a whole sermon. And so all Israel will be saved. Okay? Future time. Right? Um, so read 10 and 11 and you'll see all the details of that. So Romans 9, 27, 28. Paul equates Israel's saved remnant with the remnant that returned to the Holy Land after the Assyrian uh, exile. Okay? He makes this, he equates the two. Right? That... Um, there's some Jews that are saved, right? Well, there were some Jews that also got free from the Assyrians, a remnant, right? That saved their lives, right? So Paul's not interpreting, interpreting Old Testament scripture in the plain sense or the Peshat method, uh, but rather the Romaz interpretation method. That is, the Old Testament passage, uh, the Israeli remnant, is a hint about the Israeli remnant salvation at a later time, right? Those who don't reject Christ as Messiah. So he's making this parallel between those that were saved out of Assyria and those Jews that will recognize Jesus as Messiah, okay? Not all yet, of course, right? A lot of them don't recognize Jesus as Messiah. So the difference, uh, I just want to come back to this uh, allegorical teaching that uh, generally when we tell a story uh, the problem with that the difference between that and this Vermez method that Paul uses is that the Christian generally Christian allegorical method uh, can overlook what's right on the page and they can get into the story and get off into the story 
and then almost negate what is on the page. And Paul says, no, uh, we have to look at the deeper meaning, but we have to keep the surface meaning too, which is kind of a juggling act not to get one up over the other, right? And you have to be thinking a little bit when you're reading this and when you're interpreting it, so you don't throw one out and keep the other, and then somehow you lessen scripture or change it, change it into what you want to say, right? So that's why it's important to keep what's on the page there, you know, and recognize it. So, for example, in Isaiah 10, Paul accepts the plain sense of the scripture, what it actually says in Isaiah 10, that the remnant uh, of the Assyrian exile is past history, that it did happen, and he keeps that. And you cannot replace that fact. That happened. And um, I was reading this over. When you, write a, when you write a sermon, you read it back over, and you read it back over. And last night, I got this other piece of truth out of this, or this, this thought came to me. I'll just read it to you. I wrote this in green ink, so it would be separate from the, the blue, and I can't even see it. So, we don't want to replace the past history. We don't want it to move into myth, right? Or to be just a story or something, right? Uh, don't let this slip away into myth. The Jewish race did suffer at the hands of a very uh, real Assyrian race and didn't stop looking to God, though imperfectly. If we let the Old Testament slip back into myth or something, it may soon become fable. Very subtle method the enemy can use to siphon your faith until we're asking, did God really say? You know, it just slips, slips, slips. So you have to take, what really hit me last night is how much we have to take every thought captive when it first creeps in. Don't entertain it. Because pretty soon, where'd that third thought come from? You know, how did I get, why am I doubting? What, what really happened? Real race, real people, real suffering, you know? So we have to keep the past history as real, and then we also have to keep the Ramez, the hidden method, uh, or the hidden sense, also real. That a remnant of Israel will be saved from some future destruction. There will be a remnant, there will be a little group that's going to be saved. Um, so digging beneath the surface doesn't remove the surface, basically. It doesn't negate the surface. Mm -hmm. um, so as noted, the problem with allegory is that it can often uh, be taught to replace the plain meaning as originally written. An example of that would be that since the church, since we can do this, hopefully we're aware so we don't do it, but the church can allegorize turn into something else, like turn into a story that's not actually there. The church can allegorize the blessings given to Israel. Every time you see something good happening to Israel in the Bible, you can allegorize that as now belonging to the church. Right. Okay, I guess we're gonna be, we're gonna have that. And maybe only look at it when it's positive, when it's a blessing. Don't forget, <laughs> there's another side. There's also the justice side that God has. He's mercy, but we love that, don't we? But what about the justice? Mm. There's another part. If you're going to allegorize one, you've got to allegorize the whole story and then bring it back to reality. So, every positive mention of Israel in the Bible is now said to actually mean church. This is, this, thus, Israel no longer just means Israel. 
it, it can get eliminated and replaced by the church. But Paul says it should be seen as both. Okay? You should, any mention of Israel should be seen as Israel and the church. Okay? Again, not just the church. There's something else that came to me when I was rereading this. Um, it's okay that Israel is both Israel and the church. Don't pit them against each other. The enemy wants Jew against Gentile and Gentile against Jew, right? They want, he wants some kind of us and them to be happening. No, we're all part of the elective. We're all part of the body of Christ, right? Um, in the case of Isaiah, back in Isaiah 10, it's meant on two different levels, Israel historically and Israel in the future. And what we have to realize is that both are valid, both continue to exist, right? You can't change that historical fact, that exists. I'm not gonna remove that. And this is gonna happen in the future, uh, and maybe already unfolding, uh, does exist, will be real, and will uh, unfold as God said it will. Um, so this is the case with Paul's point concerning a remnant of Israel being saved. Isaiah 10 says, only a remnant of Israel will be saved from the Assyrian exile. But also, only a remnant of Israel will be saved from another indifferent destruction because they did not accept God's Messiah. Okay? Only the elected will be those who accept God's Messiah, Jesus Christ. So the common point between the two events is that both, number one, the destruction of Israel at the hands of the Assyrians, past history, and two, the destruction of Israel at some future date by the hand of God, uh, have this common point that both are only due uh, to God's wrath, and not because the Assyrians are special, or not because the Jews are special, or we are. It has to do with God's wrath and God's mercy. Mercy and justice, right? Um, also, Israel's remnant, both past and future, are not saved because they're better somehow. But only, as verse 14 said, because of God's mercy. He will decide himself. Uh, <clears throat> now, Romans 9.29, Paul uses Isaiah 1.9 to back up his assertion, his assertion about the meaning of Isaiah 10. Isaiah 1.9 says, and I think he quotes it there, unless the Lord Almighty had left had left us descendants or seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been like Gomorrah. Isaiah 1, and I suggest you read 1 to 14, if you do some Bible study this week or anything, you want to read Isaiah 1, 1 to 14. Isaiah 1 is about Israel's rebellion and God's um, disgust his dislike of what they're doing, his disgust with them. Uh, God will destroy, leaving only a remnant, right? There will only be a remnant left, that actual, unless he had left a few descendants, they would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah, which was totally obliterated, right? Uh, so God in his mercy did that. The very interesting thing, and this is where some people will try to trip you up. Um, and I should have noted this at the first, that somewhere in scripture, don't know where you might have this memorized, it says, 
always be ready to give an answer for the joy or the faith you have, something like that. So we always want to be ready. And if you don't know, you can say, wait a minute, I'll go look that up. You know, admit, you don't know exactly. But very interesting in verse 29, Paul doesn't quote the thing that is said back in Isaiah. He does a little interpretation here, which doesn't mean that it's a lie. It means that he's linking it to deeper meaning. Okay? Now, your verse may say descendants or seed. Uh, mine says descendants. But that's not what it says back in Isaiah 1.9. Uh, back there, I don't know if I wrote this out or not, but um, it said survivors. If I can find, I'll flip back to 1.9 just to read that. I didn't write it out. It's right after, looking for Isaiah, it's right after Song of Songs, by the way. And, and I'm reading from an NLT, and I'll tell you the differences that I see between the two. Yeah, go ahead. In, in Isaiah, it says, a few of us. Right. And in Romans, it says, a few of our children. A few of our children, there you go. Uh, and there'd be different uh, depths of meaning there, but uh, unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom and been, been like Gomorrah, that's an ID. Um, so what Paul is doing here is he's using a method to give us some deeper meaning, right? And um, seed doesn't actually appear in Isaiah 1. But Paul's, so Paul's quote is a bit different. Um, in 929, Paul changes remnant, or survivor, or what Shelley said, uh, to seed or descendant. Uh, because he's now using this Darash method, okay, of Bible interpretation. Uh, he's using metaphor or comparison to interpret Isaiah 1.9. Okay? So somebody says, look, there's a misquote here in the Bible. Wait, that's a biblical interpretation method, you can say. <laughs> right? that's, uh, that's something Paul does. Uh, so the remnant will be seen. He's not changing the meaning. He's giving you a deeper idea of what this scripture actually is saying. Um, remember, deeper meaning is not changing the meaning. He is connecting this passage to Romans 4. That's why you have to read so much around it all to, to understand it. You're back and forth. Um, when, he, when there, in Romans 4, he talked about true Israel being the seed of Abraham. You may have a different word in yours. I have descendants in mine. So. Um, but he's connecting this. And he's connecting it to give us a larger truth. Right? What's going on here? In Romans 4, he defines seed of Abraham, and here's the point, uh, as all, everyone, all those who trust God and so trust in Jesus as Messiah. Linking it back to Jews and Gentiles. All will be the chosen. Right? So he's, he's, he's doing big picture, uh, connecting it back to Abraham. So Paul's saying, uh, Romans 24, remember, those who called not only the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. He's saying, number one, a remnant of Israel are the elected, are the chosen. And number two, some number of Gentiles those who believe in Jesus, walk it out, you know, don't just mouth words, don't just form a pew or whatever, who actually believe, like Romans 9, uh, 10, 9 and 10, 
Remember? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Mm -hmm. There's our requirements. Mm -hmm. So he knows if you believe in your heart. Anybody can say with their mouth anything. Jesus is Lord. Mm -hmm. Even the enemy can say that. I probably wouldn't, but never going to believe in his heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. So all those who trust in trust God and trust his Messiah. So Paul is including Jew and Gentile here, right? Um, and the only commonality between the two, between this remnant and the Gentiles that are going to be part of the elect, uh, is belief in Jesus as Messiah. There's no other link. There's no other way to get to be the elected. No other way to get to be part of the chosen. You can't work your way there. You can't, you can't do enough stuff. You can't do anything. You can't do it all right. right? As Jesus was trying, trying to tell the Pharisees. Right? So, verse 30. Um, here's Paul using the straw man idea or his debater. And uh, uh, he's anticipating objections to his claim, right, that some of the Gentiles are going to be included. Uh, because the Jews don't, don't believe that, and they don't like that. Um, uh, I just got to give a little side note here, just so we understand the culture. We believe that salvation is an individual by individual issue, which is true, which is right. right? It doesn't matter, you know, yourself, our families. You might love the Lord. You might try and pray for years. And you want them to believe. Doesn't make it so. That's Christianity, individual by individual basis. That's not Jewish culture. That's not what they believe. So, you, so we have to be thinking a bigger picture. We have to be thinking, who's the audience he's talking to? The Jews see salvation as a collective, national idea, national issue. So, both Paul's day and a lot today. Maybe the internet is changing that some, but generally, it's all the Jewish people or none of the Jewish people. That's their cultural belief. It's deep-rooted, right? That's what they would tell you. Um, and I'll explain that a little bit here. Um, we see in verse 30 and 31, the Jewish objection. Uh, just look that back a page. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it? Didn't do anything. Didn't do anything, right? The Gentiles didn't make an effort at all. Uh, a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, all the Jewish nation, who pursued a law of righteousness has not attained it? Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were works by works. So, um, for centuries, individually and nationally, the Jewish race had been striving to attain righteousness, right? But the Gentiles made no such effort at all, right? Uh, they didn't read the Torah, right? Didn't try to follow the 603 laws, whatever it is, right? Uh, but God in his mercy 
gave them righteousness anyway. I was reminded of the scripture when I read that. I never wrote it out, never thought much about it, but remember the scripture somewhere in the New Testament in one of the Gospels that um, this fellow went down to the town square and he uh, was looking for workers and he hired some workers at uh, nine, six o'clock in the morning and then nine and twelve and then some at one and he paid them all at three. <laughs> paid them all the same. And uh, I would have been upset if I started at six. But, you know. What are you, criticizing me because I'm generous? Says the owner, right? He's like, uh, so how can, you, how can you let these Gentiles in? We, for centuries, have been pursuing you. We have been following you. We've been trying to do what's right, you know, and keeping the Torah, keeping those first five books of Moses just to the letter. How can you possibly say, Paul, that the elect are going to include the Gentiles? It's not fair. It's not right. It can't be. So there's the audience he's trying to get this point to, and they are coming from this point of the Jews and only the Jews, the chosen. Mm -hmm. Are we not the chosen race? So they're objecting. Um, 31 and 32 says, the Jews pursued the law uh, of righteousness, but never attained it. Paul says that while pursuing the law is good, it must be pursued by faith, mm -hmm. by trusting God, right? not by works or by a bunch of rules and regulations. And you can look at, let's just have a quick look. I won't, I won't, I won't stay here much longer, but uh, look at 10, look at Romans 10, 1 to 4, just the end of the, the next couple of verses. Because there's no chapter breaks in the original. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, sought to establish their own righteousness, as if they could work their way there, mm -hmm. they did not submit to God's righteousness. Uh, Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Mm -hmm. So he's just driving home the point that everyone who believes that Jesus is Messiah will be part of the chosen, mm -hmm. right? And the Jews had a really hard time uh, accepting that. Of course, we probably would as well had the shoe been on the other foot, right? If we had followed this, uh, this promise of God to Abraham, we're the chosen, aren't we? Oh. Um, so, Andrew, what you said earlier about the, uh, the cultural thing for the Jewish people, that's a really helpful connect with this scripture. Because there's a culture presuming that they're saved. Yeah. And, um, it's a cultural thing. Yeah. But really, it's a personal thing. Yeah. You need to do personal things. Yeah. Good. And isn't that also true today in the church? Yeah. Yeah. That it's a culture that if you go to church, you're saved. If you're a good person, you're saved. Mm. Yeah. It's not true. No, it's dangerous that uh, that we have, like, we do that in all kinds of ways. Paint with too wide a brush is the saying. You know, we include ourselves in things that 
uh, we're not really part of or you know so um, it's a nice thought we all love the love the mercy part of it like I say but there are cultural aspects mm -hmm. and to be fair to the Jews the Jewish race like I say we wouldn't be any different we'd have been in that it's very very difficult to rise above the saying is the water you're swimming in mm. without suffocating because we're so much a part of this is so much part of us as culture the things we do the sayings we have mm. and Yulena has really helped me if you go to another culture or marry somebody from another culture we take so much for granted here right um, we had this fatigue on today because a couple of weeks ago was um, um, Independence Day. Independence Day. Mm -hmm. uh, they live in a nation that was occupied. And so she can, when she reads this, and the Jewish people were occupied, Indonesia was occupied by the Portuguese? Portuguese. For 300 years, was it? And the Dutch. And the Dutch. The Dutch for 300, Portuguese for 100, Japanese for. Just three. Yeah, during the World War. Yep. Yeah. So, to be occupied for 300 years and actually have a, you know, a Roman overseer or whatever, and you're trying to uh, live under that, that's a cultural thing that we will never it, be able to understand the depth of the threat. You know, we live in no, no threat here, really, in a lot of different ways. But then we have things in our culture that are unique that they would never. You know, so just to be aware of that can help you sometimes with uh, some of this uh, Bible interpretation. Um, verse 33, Jesus is a stumbling stone referred to from Isaiah 28, 16. And the stone is referred to as Emmanuel, God is with us, Matthew 1, 18 to 23. Um, it's a stumbling stone because Jesus, at the Jews, the Jewish race cannot accept Jesus as Messiah. So the capstone becomes a stumbling stone. All you have to do is accept Jesus as Savior. All you have, I mean, it's big to do that based on the culture, but, uh, you know, if you don't, then it catches you up. Uh, you, you have to explain, explain, and explain why and how the Old Testament prophets were not pointing to Jesus. It seems obvious from this side of the fence, but uh, anyway. And there's a scripture, isn't there? Um, this is a, a, a very deadly version. I don't want your sacrifices. I want relationship with you. Yeah. I want a relationship with you. That's right. Your burnt offerings and sacrifices. Mm, that's I it. Burnt offerings want, yeah. and sacrifices. And if you read all of Isaiah 10 and the first part of it, I think he says something about that because he is not happy with the Jewish people. He says that in a number of different places. And um, that's interesting. You're saying that the the idea is a lot of it's cultural. Why they didn't want the you know the Gentiles to get part of this but I look at it in terms of us as the church how many times have we looked at people who have lived terrible lives because we are good church people right um, <laughs> we they've lived terrible lives and they get to the end of their life and they accept Jesus and they get to go to heaven too I thought of that one. right yeah. it's, it's the same idea yeah. right like we're like we have worked so hard to be good Christians all of our days, yeah. when really what it comes down to is faith in Jesus. It yeah. has nothing to do with anything right. we've done. That's right. Anything yeah. that we've done, our righteousness is as, is as filthy rags. Yeah. And, but we, yeah, we, we hold other people to a different um, accountability than what Jesus holds us. That's right. right? We're, if, if we were in charge, 
Yeah. Oh, and all these yeah. cinders. <laughs> I don't think it'll be a good idea. Yeah. And how do? Yeah. Oh, yeah. exactly. But well, here's what happens. Uh, I thought about that and uh, you know deathbed confessions, and you're thinking, yeah, only God knows if it's real, so I don't have to worry about it. That that that's one thing. But that's right. yeah. But as you mature. You're more willing to let this stuff go, don't you find? Yes. Like you're more willing not to compromise because you That's still right. believe this is this. But you don't take up every soapbox and everything that comes along as your, this is my thing in the stone, I'm not going to move, this is the line in the sand. Yes. And you know, over which you shall never cross. No, if you get the enemy, you've got to be constantly aware of the enemy in your mind. He's trying to get you off of Jesus and only Jesus. Mm -hmm. He wants Jesus and, Jesus but, Jesus something. But it's just Jesus and only Jesus. And the longer you walk with him, it seems like, the more you're able to see the tricks yes. coming in. You go, no, no, no. I'm not going to judge that person. You know, they're still doing stuff that I had done years ago in my teenage years or whatever. I will pray for them. Sign of maturity. Instead of, I will condemn them. Because if we were honest, like you say, if we were honest, did you not get mad at your spouse sometime this week? Did you not? Did you not come up short somehow? Yeah. You know? I don't know. Yeah. So just as soon as you get a little bit proud, just wait a minute. <laughs> 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 if you think you're invincible or something, wait a minute, you're going to get hungry or tired. Yeah. You know? Well, to whom much is given, much is required. And, yeah. what, and we have been given so much. I just feel so blessed that, you know, you almost feel guilty because of the depth of the blessing. Like, yeah, why, why did we get this? Why did we get chosen? You know? And you know what he says in there? He, really, you should read 9 and Isaiah 10. Because he says in both of them that, does... I should almost read it to you, but does, it says, does the pot have any right to say to the potter, why have you made me thus? Yeah. You know, and back in the Assyrians, uh, in the chapter 10, verse 19 maybe, he says, um, does uh, the axe get to say to him who wields it, you know, why are you doing this or what are you doing? You know, Assyria, you do not get to say, I use you, and then... I'll move over here and I use somebody else, right? Um, so we have no right to be proud. In fact, that's one of the main things you know, one of the main traps. Yeah. There's so many things that are coming into my mind that uh, connect to this. You know, that uh, as a Christian, it is a mindset that um, of being saved. Presumptions as, as, as a person living in Christian community, you make your pres these presumptions about where you're at, mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's really it does boil down to accepting what Jesus has done for us. But mm -hmm. when the message I'm taking away here this morning is like the Jews have been were critical of the, of the new remnant, so to speak. Mm -hmm. family mm. and uh, it's time for me to do just as you said 
not to look at what they're so much being critical, but to pray that they will come to that mm -hmm. full realization Amen. of the blessing. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. Yes. I, I'm speaking Amen. to myself too because yes. I look out and I. Amazing. We all see things that we would like to be different. And uh, complaining about them or judging them doesn't seem to ever change them. <laughs> I think we've learned. Love and pray. Yeah, and I, hopefully every decade I get older <laughs> that you should be getting more Christ-like. Should you not? Like, should you not? All the, <clears throat> all the test tubes, you know, I don't get tired of hearing me say this. Every hour. Every hour, <laughs> every day. All the things of, we probably know the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love. So if you see them as things that should be getting fuller as you get older, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, those nine, that covers everything. If you see those nine, and should you not be getting more joyful? Should you not, your faith not be increasing? Should you not be getting kinder? You know? You said something that really just made me think in... I guess our current day. You talked about how, you know, the axe says to the wielder of the axe, yeah. you know, or the wielder, you know, why are you questioning what I'm doing as the, as the expert yeah. rather than the tool? And I was thinking, Jason told me one time how someone was questioning his ability to cut down the tree. Yeah. And it's not that he's the be all end all of cutting trees, but he does have a lot of experience, whereas this other person didn't have so much. And I got to thinking if I have a tree in my yard that I want cut down, or I prefer someone who doesn't know how to wield a chainsaw, or who does. Mm -hmm. And then relating that to God, you know, often we question or you hear whether we're believers or non believers, you hear people question, you know, how do, how dare God do this or not do that. But if he's the wheeler of the chainsaw, as yeah. opposed to not knowing which one to buy. Yeah. You know, yes, that's so right. much more. Okay, God, I get it. Yeah, I can trust you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. We get that lesson over and over. Yeah. If you don't get it the first time, I'll just read them since uh, it, it, it's great. These two, if you saw the similarities between Romans 9 and Isaiah 10, probably many others, but... Uh, 9.20 says, Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Right? Because they're complaining. Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? All necessary. Let the hand not say to the foot, I have not need of you. So that's 20.21 and 9, Romans 9. And Isaiah 10 um, it was 15, not 19, 15 says, does the ax raise itself above him who swings it, or the saw boast against him who uses it, as if a rod were to wield him who lifts it up, or a club brandish him who is not wood. So, both places it's saying, don't think too highly of yourself. <laughs> but I think the other no, side of it is...
I couldn't say, I just say, well, God, this is what God, this is the way he does things. He, this person kept saying, why would God condemn the Jews? Mm. You know, and, yeah. and why, why would he do that? And I, I, I said, I don't have all the wherewithal to answer that question, but I do know God does what he wants to do. And if yeah. he, if he wants to save somebody or if he wants to destroy them, that's, 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 that's yeah. up to, the, to him. Yeah. You know, it, but it, it, it made me understand a little bit more. And I don't know even if I had the opportunity, if I could, could explain it, but that's, that's what some people feel like, why would a good God? Yeah. And like one question he kept saying, why did God destroy the ark, like why did yeah, there you go. Yeah. all these people in the ark and then destroy yeah. the ark and only save a few few people? Yeah, like I know. Um, if you read just above nine fourteen and nine ten or eleven twelve, whatever that is, that he says, um, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Yeah, says so that and he says, and that's just before he says, I'll have mercy on who I have mercy, compassion who I have compassion. He said the older will serve the younger, and. God does what God does because he he is he has given he's no respecter of persons he's given us our free will mm -hmm. we can do anything but anything you do has consequences mm -hmm. good and bad so yes you have free will but uh, all your choices will not bless God will not you know bless you and if we're talking about and, and I mean I know such a little bit about all this. If we're talking about if someone, and you know, you'd have to hear the whole conversation that you had, uh, Lorna, and if someone said, you know, how, why would they condemn the Jews? But it's not just that, although you'd be looking at it more of a globally in time span, but it's not that, that it's just that he wants us all by faith and love and believing. Mm, and yeah. so anyone else, would you say, is not condemned, but the only way there is through faith and believing. Mm. So, but that's kind of a backward way of looking at it. Well, like Shelley said earlier, that um, it's a free gift, but boy, you're held to a higher standard. Mm -hmm. Like, the Jewish people were chosen. When you're chosen by God, you have some responsibility. Mm -hmm. And um, you, you don't God, ever do it perfectly. Since they have that big responsibility, that's what God said. Pray for them. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's why we have to be uh, uh, compassionate to the Jew, too. Because mm -hmm. they, they the one who get the hard part, and we just receive mercy from the Lord, too, you know, mm -hmm. being part of this. Well, they so embrace the law. Like, the law means more than the words of they Jesus. They work so hard, too. For the wrong thing, to respect what they yeah, they are, what, right? what they believe because it's so culturally ingrained. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're. I mean, the whole world's getting smaller in some ways because of the internet and stuff, and everybody, all the young Jewish people here, what young Canadian people here. So, God's working all this out. What were you gonna say the other side? What? Oh well, when you were talking about. Oh, the axe and the wielding. Yeah. So, I mean, we, you talk about the whole pride thing. Like, you know, you don't want to be too prideful. But on the other side of it is, God made us who he made us. 
So he's made us with gifts and with, with things that he wants us to be exercising. So on the other side of it is, how can we say to the potter, why did you make us this way? And what, you know, we should be saying, thank you, Lord, for making us this mm. way. Now what can we do with these gifts? Exactly. Because it's, a, you know, that's, mm. that's part of it. And sometimes we don't come to terms with who we are as people mm. and who God has made us and is making us into. Yeah. And we have this responsibility, right? Yeah. Mm. So. Yeah. Yeah. Accepting noble or so, whatever in common. So interesting. Thank isn't it? You, yeah. It's very interesting, thank isn't it? You. Thanks for listening. Here we are. Yeah. That's a new level. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>